You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.Church. Well, good morning to everyone. Not only is that such a, a great thing to share together, but your voices were amazing. I found myself just loving worship with all of you and with the team this morning. Thank you so much for singing and singing loud to our Lord. I, of course, want to just take a minute to welcome everyone on the live stream as well. We know many of you are tuning in from all over the state or region, and just know that we're praying for you, and we have high expectations for God to speak to you this morning as well. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard. I'm going to move this because I happen to pace from time to time, and I don't want to kick that off the stage. Um, All month long, leading up to Christmas, we're going to be kicking off a new series called Joy to the World, playing off the famous Christmas carol, of course, but all month long, we're going to be looking at scriptures, we're going to be studying what biblical joy looks like, we're going to be talking about the beauty of joy and even how joy and grief can coexist in the kingdom of God, how that happens, and then, of course, the contagiousness of your joy, how your joy can change and impact the world. And as I was starting to plan this series and prepare for everything, I I realized that I have a really strong visual aid at my hand for this morning's service. My visual aid is my mustache on my face. The back row can finally see my mustache. It's been... It's been a six-week journey, but we finally have arrived to the point where people can recognize the mustache from more than 10 rows behind. You know, it it all started, of course, at Halloween because Natalie and I, we wanted to be the new power couple, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift for Halloween as we walked around with our kids. I've got a little picture to, to show you the proof. It worked. I mean, I tell myself the story that it worked, but the power in the power couple rested with Natalie because all the little girls from the neighborhood followed her around, and she had memorized a couple songs, and we were just singing. It was a great way to get the extra king-size candy bars. Now, some of you, I remember uh, after that first week that some of you teased me on Sunday that I couldn't grow a real mustache, and I'm just competitive enough. That I was like, all right, now it's on. Like, all November, I'm going to commit to this thing. Um, And then I was getting ready to shave it, and I realized we're doing this whole series on joy. So now I can just rock the mustache for a little bit longer, because we can't talk about joy without talking about all of our favorite soccer coach, Mr. Ted Lasso, right? (laughs) Look at that. Huh? Can't talk about joy without talking about Ted Lasso, but interestingly, he's not the only TV character with a mustache who's also known for joy. There's also Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. <laughs> Oakley Doakley, good neighbor, right? This is, the re- I, for some reason on TV, if you're going to be known for joy, you have to have a mustache. I thought we could start our time off together by having a fun little vote. Just right where you're sitting, who do I look most like today? Is it number one for Kelsey, number two for Ted Lasso, or number three for Ned Flanders? Just go ahead and raise your hand. I'm going to take a quick vote. I'm seeing way too many threes for what I anticipated. Here's some twos. This is my two section. Listen, I realize I did wear a flannel today, so I'm kind of like lending myself to, and the hair, and the hair. 
now I'm ready to shave it off. Now the, the mustache is, this is why I kept it, purely for laughter, to make fun of myself, to, to have a time of laughter together. It's good to laugh. It's good to laugh together. And joy and laughter, they're not perfectly synonymous. They're not always necessarily the same thing. And Ted Lasso and Ned Flanders, they don't always demonstrate the trueness of biblical joy to us. But as followers of Christ, joy is important to talk about. Joy is important to talk about because joy is your promise. Joy is your promise as a follower of Christ. And so all month long, we're going to be talking about it together. I'll, of course, share scripture from all across uh, the Bible and a wider range of passages specifically this morning as we kind of lay the foundation for joy in the coming weeks. But today I'm starting the series in a message I've titled, Reclaiming Your Joy. Reclaiming Your Joy. Reclaiming what's rightfully yours. Because joy is a promise for everyone who decides to follow Christ. Jesus Christ died so that you could experience the fullness of his kingdom. And in his kingdom, under his rule and reign, in heaven to earth is the fullness of joy. And it's time to reclaim your joy. The thing that we all probably realize is that there are many things working against your experience of a Christ-centered and biblical joy. And we don't like talking about it that much anymore, but you remember this thing that happened a couple of years ago that kind of impacted the world, this COVID reality? You remember this thing? Yeah, we remember. Listen, COVID is a killjoy. And I think we're still going to be learning for a, a number of years just how much it impacted society. COVID and the isolation and the loneliness, it, it impacted our brains and our relationships, the way that we interact with one another, and it's impacted our joy. But newsflash, it's not just COVID. Our culture sometimes kills joy as well. I mean, Jesus was born into a culture with a robust and full expression of all the emotions. And in particular, Hebrews would pursue joy and they would celebrate when they had joyous moments. But in our culture, it's almost the complete opposite. We tend to minimize joy. From an early age, we tell our children to calm down to manage their emotions or to act their age. And usually these phrases get leveraged against our kids when they're larger than life and oftentimes in public settings where we don't want to draw too much attention to ourselves. But guess what? If you have a joyful child, everyone's going to know. And that's a good thing because our world needs joy. It's not just kids, though, either. Even adults are in the business of reminding other adults to not be that joyful. You know, we say things like, well, don't get too happy because these good times, they won't last forever. I mean, what a negative thing to say, right? Or brace for impact because you know the, the other shoe is going to eventually drop. It's like, okay, but right now I'm feeling joy. Can we just like live in this moment of joyous occasion right now? Why do we have to destroy the joy from time to time and over and over and over again. Of course, on top of that, we have an enemy of our soul who hates joy. Satan is working overtime to steal, kill, and destroy God's gift of joy so that you will never experience heavenly joy 
again. But as a follower of Christ, this is your promise. You've been promised the experience of joy. Jesus died to transform all things, and that includes restoring you to the fullness of joy. In this room right now, we have people who probably haven't experienced joy in a really, really long time. Hearing that we're going to be talking about joy for the whole month of December makes you almost want to throw up. It's just been so long since you've felt joy. Others of us in this room, we, we count ourselves as, as quite joyful people. I, I like to think that I'm, I'm an I'm above average joyful person myself. Right? And then there are folks in this room and, and tuning in online, of course, that aren't yet followers of Jesus. And you had no idea that the promise of joy was also tied to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here exploring the faith, if you're online and you don't yet follow Jesus, I am so happy that you feel this church is a place where you can discover your faith and learn what it means to follow Jesus before you're ready to go all in with him. But I just want to let you know, experiencing the fullness of joy is tied to a relationship with Jesus. And if you've never gone all in with Jesus, if you've never started a personal relationship with him, then we're going to give you an opportunity to do that towards the end of our service together. And when we do this as a church family, almost every week people respond to Jesus for the very first time. And it is a joyful occasion because he begins to work in your life, begins to work in your heart. Yeah, I'm so thankful that according to Scripture, joy is my inheritance. Joy is your inheritance in Christ. It's referred to as a fruit of the Spirit in the Bible, which means that as we stay connected to God, joy is something that can grow in our life. But I also realize a room this size that any number of us probably think that joy is a pretty irrelevant emotion to even consider. You might think joy is just for children, or joy shouldn't be a priority, or there's just more important things to do in our lives than pursue joy. And so I want to start this morning by talking a little bit about why joy matters. Why joy matters. To the follower of Christ, joy needs to matter. Because you cannot tell the story of God without joy. You can't tell this story without joy. It's not the main thing. It's not the main reason why Jesus came and died and, and went to the cross, was buried and resurrected. It's not the main reason, but you can't tell the story of Jesus without talking about joy. Joy matters to us. Joy matters to this church. It should matter to Christians because joy matters to God. In John chapter 15, these are some of the last moments before Jesus died on the cross. And in these last moments while he was on earth, he gathered his disciples to himself. And he said, I've got a few more things to talk to you about. He talked a lot about a lot of different topics, but one of the topics he talked about was joy. I want to read John 15, a few verses in John 15 for us this morning, starting in verse 9. This is how Jesus began. He said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Your joy will overflow. John 15 is one of my John 15 is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. (laughs) 
Listen, the mustache is going to be gone in about T minus one hour if this keeps up. <laughs> Jesus said, I have told you these things. I've, I've told you all of these things. I've told you all of these teachings. In these last moments, I've told you all about them so that you may be filled with joy. And of course, this has implications for us, right? There's an implied reality to this passage. For one, it means that Jesus has joy. And that sounds really simple, but for many of us, we assume God is like this stoic kind of uh, ethereal being who's, who's hard to please, more like Zeus up in heaven with lightning bolts ready to cast down upon us if we make a mistake. We think that God is some stoic God who's hard to please, mostly upset with our sin, kind of putting up with us until we get things put together, our side of eternity. But when you read John 15, you realize Jesus is filled with joy. Not only that, the other implication is that you can be filled with the same joy that Jesus has. In verse 11, it says that you would be filled with his joy, filled to overflow, filled to a completeness. And verse 11, that word filled, is one of those interesting present active indicative words, which means you are filled and continuously filled. That joy comes again and again and again, wave after wave after wave, that you get filled with joy and you keep on getting filled with joy, so much so that it overflows from your life to the world around you. So not only does Jesus have joy, and, and he has a perfect joy and a full and complete joy, but he died and rose again so that you could experience the same perfect joy that Jesus embodies. This is your promise as a follower of Christ. I mean, just imagine with me for a moment how your life would be different if you walked in the reality of experiencing the same perfect joy day in, day out. What? might happen to your relationships? What might happen to the way that you lead and love and work and serve and give and show up in different spaces if you knew that the same joy that filled Jesus is filling you today? This is your promise. And because joy matters to God, it needs to matter to us. It needs to matter to you. But as we talk about joy, something really interesting kind of starts to take place. And it's the reality that as we think about joy and as we talk about joy, a lot of us have a really hard time defining what joy actually is. I mean, what is joy? This is a question that commentators and theologians have argued about for years. What actually is joy? How can we define it? Just in your head, right where you're sitting, just think through a couple phrases when you see that question. What is joy? How would you define it? And if I had the ability to read everyone's mind kind of simultaneously, I would imagine that all kinds of thoughts would be coming through our minds. And they'd probably be very different from seat to seat and row to row and section to section, right? Some of us are thinking, well, it's kind of like happiness, but it's a lot more than just happiness. It's like happiness on steroids. It's a lot of happiness. Or, or it, it's, it's happiness... But, but not tied to circumstances, right? Like nothing can change this. It's deep and it's internal. It, it doesn't rely on anything that's happening in my world. It, it's never going to be stolen. That happiness is, is some, or joy is, is somehow happiness from heaven, but not from earth. And it reminds me of, of Christmas morning when I would wake up and I would run out and I would see the presents. That's kind of what joy reminds me of. Or, or when I gather a bunch of friends around a fire and we share stories and we connect and, 
and we just have a great evening together, right? I mean, how am I doing? Am I reading at least some of your minds right now? But if you think about all those different ways we talk about joy, you realize it's kind of a nebulous idea. It's not really like a concrete definition. We don't have like a nice, clean, perfect phrase to say, that's joy. It's kind of hard. It's abstract. And it's kind of hard to explain. Even in the Bible, you see joy talked about in all kinds of different ways. For one, the root word for uh, joy is also the same root word for grace, which means that it's a gift from God that he gives to us. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us. He bestows it upon us. Biblically, it can include emotion, but it doesn't always include emotion. That it's impacted by circumstance, but not always impacted by circumstance. That it's tied to community and tied to being with people, but not always. You can also have joy independently. I mean, all of these different things, it's kind of hard to explain. And joy can be challenging to explain, but we all intuitively know it when we feel it. It's just in your gut. It's in your heart. And you can feel it sometimes before you can articulate it. And then in John 15, the passage I read just earlier, there's even this countercultural message to joy in Scripture. Look at Joy 15. Again, I'm going to read the whole passage I read earlier, those three verses. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And so Jesus taught us that somehow obedience and love and joy all go together. But our culture never puts obedience and joy in the same sentence. Obedience feels restrictive, oppressive for some. Obedience feels boring, like we're not going to have any fun. We're just going to be obeying the Lord's commands. But Jesus teaches that love and obedience and joy all go together. That somehow loving and obeying God allows our hearts to experience the completeness and fullness of joy. I've been reading this really fantastic book. I want to recommend it to everyone. It's called The Other Half of Church. I put a link to it in my sermon notes at votrweekly.org. If you're a reader, I would really encourage it. It's influencing me a ton. It's influencing our staff. But in the book, the writer calls himself a neurotheologian. A neurotheologian because he's a really brilliant man, and he's uh, both an expert in theology and neurology. He's studied the brain in all kinds of amazing ways, and he's studied the Word of God and church history and, and theology for a number of years. So he's a, he's a neurotheologian. He's studied brain scans on what happens when you experience joy, and he's studied how the brain interacts with different things, how joy comes up, and then he's also studied scriptures. And because he's this neurotheologian, his working definition for joy, the way he defines joy, it sounds like this. He says, it's the feeling you get when you see the sparkle in someone's eye who is delighted to see you. That's joy. When you see someone and you experience them and you're with them face to face in a way that allows you to see the sparkle in their eye because they're so delighted to see you. He goes on to say, by the way, it's face to face, not face to screen. Because face to screen actually depletes joy, but face to face increases joy. 
And when this happens, when we are in the presence, face to face, with someone who is truly and genuinely delighted to be with you, your brain starts firing all kinds of different things, and that elicits this deep sense of joy. You know, this is going to probably come as a shocker to many of you, but this is why we enjoy being around people who enjoy us. And it's pretty miserable to be around people who don't really like us. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever tried to avoid people that don't like you and spend more time with people who genuinely love you? It's because your brain is recognizing joy. It's why your first few moments when you come home from a hard day's work and your kids are ready to greet you, it's why those first few moments are really important. Because you want to have that sparkle in your eye when you walk through those doors. Because you're delighted to see your family. It's why when we're at church, it's really good and it's really important to smile at one another and tell them that you're happy they're here and you're excited to worship with them because we're trying to create a, a community that's filled with joy and one where people can belong and be delighted in and receive the love and joy of Jesus Christ. It's why, you know, if you're on social media and you find one of those videos of a soldier coming home from a tour abroad, and everyone greets them at the airport. It's why you could binge watch those over and over and over again. You'll be crying and smiling all at the same time because you're experiencing their joy because it's real and they're delighting in one another. When you experience joy, two things are happening simultaneously. You're having a spiritual encounter and you're having a physiological experience. And God has wired us so that both of these things work in the same way together. Joy is most like the feeling you get when you see the sparkle in someone's eye who is delighted to see you. I want more of that in my life. I feel like I'm pretty joyful, but I want more of that. Don't you want more joy in your life? And the question we should all be asking this morning then is how can I reclaim my joy? How can I reclaim my joy. According to both neurology and theology, the best way to answer that question actually isn't found in the how, but it's found in the where. It's found in the where. Our culture has a hard time finding joy because we're looking in all of the wrong places. We get satisfied with substitutes that are really just cheap illusions and thin veneers of, of, of small things that maybe hit our brain and give us a quick dopamine hit, but then they rush away because they're not long-lasting. They're not centered on Christ. They're not biblically driven. They come fast, but they leave us wanting because they're not Christ-centered habits of joy. To reclaim your joy, it's not so much about how. It's a lot more about where? And if a good working definition of joy is the feeling you get when you see the sparkle in someone's eye who's delighted to see you, then the best place, the best place to find joy is in the presence and under the direct gaze of a loving God who has a sparkle in his eye and is delighted when he sees you and spends time with you and hears your voice and invites you into deeper communion with him. And people often hear things like God loves you or God loves to hear your voice. He loves when you pray. He loves when you worship. He loves spending time with you. And, and it can feel distant. It can feel abstract. Like somehow God's up there and we're down here. And sometimes, honestly, we don't feel very loved. 
Sometimes we don't feel the delight of God, and so we wonder what's actually happening when we pray or we sing or we spend time with God. And that's the very reason why we need the power of God to help us. We need the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit to open our minds and open our hearts and awaken our life to this truth. That God doesn't just love you. He loves to love you. He takes delight in loving you. It brings him pleasure to love you. That when he thinks about you, he has delight, an overwhelming sense of delight. He has a sparkle in his eye when he thinks and sees and dreams about who you were becoming in Christ. Psalm 16 is, is a great little case study for us this morning. Psalm 16 was written by David when life was not going very well for him at all. He was actually running for his life. People were trying to kill him. He wasn't safe in his homeland anymore, so he had to escape his homeland and live as a refugee in another country, truly running for his life. And that's when he writes Psalm 16. Look at verse 11. It says, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you, forever. Psalm 16, verse 11. And at first glance, when you hear that, I mean, you can hear the word joy, but it's hard to draw the connection between joy and experiencing the sparkle in God's eye because he delights in us. And this is why unpacking the Hebrew culture is sometimes really helpful for us. See, in the Hebrew culture, they used words differently than we use them today. In the Hebrew culture, they almost always had a, a functional and a concrete definition to the way they talked about things. And most often, they had a word picture that was tied to the actual word they're talking about to help bring life to the definition. And so when we hear the word presence, we think probably most often about proximity. That like we're all sharing each other's presence right now. I'm in your presence and you're in my presence. And if God blesses us, his presence is here, of course, all the time, but like in a unique way. When we hear the word presence, we often think about proximity. And this isn't wrong. It's just not the full story because in the Hebrew culture and in Hebrew ideas of how to define words, they always tie a word picture to the word. And presence in the Hebrew was uniquely tied to the word picture of a face. That it's not just about proximity, it's about attention. That you're not just sharing in the same presence of God. You're not just in the room in his presence among many, but his face is shining upon you. His face is shining upon us. When Hebrews talked about being in the presence of the Lord, they were talking about seeing the Lord face to face. And so in a lot of ways, you could read Psalm 1611, again, inside this idea of the Hebrew culture, a lot like this. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence, or the joy of your face, and the pleasures of living with you forever. See, being in God's presence, it's not just about proximity. It's also about having God's joyful attention. You are proximate to his presence. He's everywhere, but you also have his attention. His eyes are upon you. The sparkle in his eye is upon you. And if you dare to be brave enough to look up to the heavens and meet the gaze of Jesus Christ, you'll experience the sparkle in his eye because he's delighted to be with you 
And that's the beginning of transformation. God's not angry. He's not disappointed or ashamed of you. I mean, some of us act like we're just, in, that God is, God's somehow embarrassed that we even call ourselves a Christian. And, and we just spend so much energy trying to figure out our life and make it look more presentable to God when we already have his gaze. We already have his attention. And he's got that sparkle in his eye because he loves to be with us. The best experience of joy that you will ever find will be when your eyes meet the eyes of a loving God and you experience the delight of the Lord over you for who you are becoming in Christ. God loves you. He loves to love you. It brings God great joy and delight to show you his love. Over the last couple of months, Natalie and I have been to a lot of birthday parties. And most of the birthday parties, they're for like little kids that are in our life that we adore and love and have committed to kind of being uh, people in their lives. So we've just gone to a variety of different birthday parties. And all these different birthday parties, you can, you can guess it, there's a point in the party when we all gather around that little child and we bring out a little cake. And there's candles in there. And then what do we do? We all sing happy birthday. And we're all staring at that baby and staring at that child. We all have a sparkle in our eye and we're singing over that baby because why? Because they were born. Because we love them. We enjoy being in that baby's presence and so we sing songs to them. It, it doesn't have the same effect when you're an adult. I can tell you, it doesn't have the same effect. Like I went to a restaurant recently, back on my last birthday. And it's a little awkward when they all come out to sing for you as an adult, isn't it? And you know they hate it. Like, they're getting paid to do it. They have to do it. So they all march out, and they try to put on a good face. I mean, I'm sure some people really love it. I'm awkward. I feel super awkward. I don't even know who to look at. Like, do, I, do I just look at Natalie? I, I feel like that's a safe thing to do. But I'm compelled to kind of look at every single one and kind of give them a nod. Oh, yes, thank you for singing. This is, this is really awkward. This is ridiculous, actually. You don't even know me, and you're singing. But I'll, I'll take it. I'll bask in this moment. And then usually what happens is I get awkward. I feel like the sense of awkwardness, and then I just stare at the cake because I don't know where else to look. Chocolate is my safe space, so, so that's where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to find my safety in chocolate, right? I mean, this is an interesting picture, though, of what we're talking about this morning. The birthday celebration, the reality that every time a year passes, people gather around us and they sing over us. They rejoice over our life. They celebrate us. The chorus of family and friends are singing over us and celebrating us simply because they love us and we're alive. This is an earthly picture of God's delight in you. It's an earthly picture of God's delight in you, God's love for you, God's acceptance of you. And if you've never felt deeply loved, if you've, if you've never felt deeply accepted, then I want you to know you can feel that here. You can feel that here. You can belong here. You can experience the fullness of God's love for you here, accepted just as you are, invited into a relationship with Jesus. He has a sparkle in his eye, and it's there every time his face is shining down upon you. It's time for us to reclaim our joy. It's time to experience the depths of God's love again to experience his delight 
over you. He experienced the gaze of the most powerful and most heavenly eyes that you could ever imagine looking upon you right now. I want to close by reading one last passage this morning. It's, uh, it's from the Old Testament, and God is speaking this passage to the nation of Israel, but I feel like it's exactly what he's saying to some of us right now. This is a passage that I feel like the Lord has, has laid on my heart to share with you that I think will land for many of us. It's from Zephaniah 3.17. This is what God says. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. This morning, I'm praying that you don't just hear that, but you experience it. That you begin to experience the truth of God this morning. That the Lord our God is living among us. That his presence and his face is upon you. That he is a mighty savior, able to rescue you from any of your hardships. That he takes delight in you this morning. And I pray that his love would surround you and calm all of your fears. That you would experience the voice of the Lord this morning, who right now is singing songs of joy over you. He's rejoicing over you with a joyful song. This is our promise, and we need God's help to begin reclaiming our joy. Let's pray.